Welcome to the Leadership on Demand podcast presented by the Cross Center for Leadership and Ethics at the Citadel, the Military College of South Carolina located in historic downtown Charleston. I'm Colonel Tom Clark, Executive Director of the Cross Center, and we are proud to share an inside look at the training, thinking, and experiences of principal leaders. Since 1842, the Citadel has produced principal leaders in all walks of life, and we look forward to sharing some of what makes the Citadel a strong and unique institution with you today. On this week's episode of Leadership on Demand, we will take a behind-the-scenes look at principal leadership training with special guest Colonel Tom Gordon, Commandant of the South Carolina Corps of Cadets. Today, Colonel Gordon tackles unique challenges facing the South Carolina Corps of Cadets, including managing helicopter parents, the sophomore shuffle, and how the Corps can better lead the Corps. I'm today's host, Lieutenant Colonel Ted Feeney from the Crown Center for Leadership and Ethics at the Citadel. Thank you for joining us for today's Leadership on Demand podcast. Let's get started. Hello and welcome to the Leadership on Demand podcast. We are here with our special guest, Colonel Tom Gordon, who took over this year as the South Carolina Corps of Cadets Commandant here at the Citadel. Colonel Gordon, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much. Honored to be here. Yes, sir. Well, we really at this podcast are trying to give cadets in our larger Citadel uh, family an insight into how we train principal leaders at the Citadel. And your role in that is obviously a very pivotal one. Uh, I'll just start right off. What, what do you think the greatest challenge uh, cadets face today here is at the Citadel? Well, I believe the Citadel is the ultimate leadership lab. Um, there are many colleges that offer various instructions on leadership, but I don't know anywhere that replicates the practical application that we provide the cadets. You know, we have those five leadership labs um, across the parade deck right now because I believe um, <clears throat> leadership is an art. That it's not a process, but it's an art that must be developed. And the only way to properly develop it is through practical application. So as you look behind me here, there's a, there's a lot of books on, on leadership. Um, I think you can learn an awful lot about leadership by reading a book, but I, I also read a lot of books about golf. Yeah. And uh, my, my golf game hasn't improved, yes, right? Sir. I need to get out there and practice. So the only way to actually, you know, improve your leadership, I believe, is, is through practical application. And there's no more difficult challenge uh, to uh, leadership challenge than leading your peers. So <clears throat> we come in with a very high standard, extremely high expectations for the South Carolina Corps cadets and their ability to lead their peers. But it's a challenge. And if I would say that's the single greatest challenge that they face is <clears throat> what I refer to as the disease to police. The biggest problem that we see in the operating forces with young lieutenants is they want to be liked. They don't realize that there is that people-pleasing product. The more paradox, the more you try to be liked, the more you can actually become an object of ridicule and, and disdain. Here at the Citadel, I believe they're leading their peers. They want to be liked. But the truth is, if they've stepped up, if they've raised their hand and they've agreed to assume you know, that responsibility of leadership there, right, their classmates are expecting them to enforce and uphold the system and to enforce the standards. And it's difficult because they want to be like. So you have to find that middle ground. You don't need to be that martinet running around pulling everybody. But those that try to um, selectively enforce the rules to curry favor with their uh, peers will find themselves creating their own ethical dilemmas in creating quite a, quite a problem that they're going to have to dig out at some point or another. Yes, sir. Much better they learn these lessons here, though, than when they hit the operating forces or when they're managing a shift at Amazon, right? Leadership's leadership. It doesn't matter the, the venue. Yes, sir. Now, you're a graduate of the Citadel, class of 91, and the Citadel has undergone so many changes since you were here. It was an all-male institution. 
a very different uh, situation in the barracks than we see today. When you talk about peer leadership, you think of the core leading the core. In your view, is what are the opportunities that remain for the core to lead the core more than it does today? Um, what, what is better or worse about that than it was when you were a student here? That was the biggest change, quite frankly, that I've seen um, from when I was here. The, the tax, quite frankly, are, um, I believe, sometimes can be too involved. Um, the, the reason being is, is because the core has stepped back, right? And we're not going to allow a vacuum to occur, right? We're not going to allow the, the standards um, to, to fade or to degrade. So the tax have had to step in. Uh, my message to the core when we returned and reconstituted after the holiday was, said, well, if the core is going to lead the core, right, I need to see them step up, right? With that responsibility, however, is going to come some accountability, right? I'm going to hold the leadership accountable to make sure that they're enforcing the standards. And if they're not, well, it's not going to be punitive. It's not going to be disciplined. But, you know, it's going to be next man up or next woman up, right? Because I'll tell you, we have a deep bench over in those barracks. There's a lot of cadets that are looking forward to try to challenge themselves and refine their leadership skills. And I'm more than happy to give them the opportunity. Yes, sir. That's, uh, that's really exciting to hear. And what are some of those uh, longer-term adjustments you would like to see in the leadership development program that, that might allow that, uh, that gap to be filled by cadets? Uh, the best thing that's happened since we left is the professionalization of the process. I believe Captain Peluso and General Walters has put the school on the proper heading. What Captain Peluso has done to professionalize the process by implementing you know, the leadership academies um, so the freshmen, as they, uh, after recognition day, will go to a leadership academy to learn how to be a corporal, right? I didn't have that experience. You didn't have that experience, mm -hmm. right? This is, some, this is some training that's been long overdue. Additionally, we've been able to partner with um, some of our classes. Some very generous classes have sponsored and endowed our leadership training exercises. So I have the opportunity right now, thanks to the generous donations of the class of 1970, to take the cadre off campus. This past year, we went down to Paris Island. You know, who knows where we'll go this year, but it's the ability to get them off, get them off campus, get them out of their comfort zone and provide them some examples to emulate. You know, for instance, down there at Paris Island, they got to see the drill instructors training recruits. Pretty high bar right there, but, you know, we have the leaders that can actually, you know, attain that degree of professionalism. Additionally, we're doing these leadership training exercises now for the freshmen and for the sophomores, thanks to the donations of the class of 71 and class of 90. More professionalizing the process and in turn, I believe, will professionalize the product. Yes, sir. It's, it's exciting to think about that uh, professional military education is what we call it in the mm -hmm. armed forces. And here it's, it's sort of a professional cadet education. How does your background from Marine Corps University uh, sort of inform that, uh, the, the structure and the formation of that education process. Well, I see you smiling. <laughs> it, I, it, admittedly, um, I couldn't have asked for a better last lap in the Marine Corps than the privilege of uh, directing the Marine Corps Command and Staff College. The Command and Staff College is one of the four professional military education institutions with the responsibility to train and develop the future battalion and squadron commanders of the Joint Force. It also gave me an opportunity to acclimate to academia. So I had 39 remarkable PhDs that were there to provision a graduate level education, um, as well as some of the best military faculty members, you know, in the in the joint force. So it was a great opportunity uh, to kind of help me think and develop it and uh, 
have a better appreciation of the pedagogical approach on how you can actually not only teach leadership, but then actually integrate how adults learn and adults learn, as I mentioned, through practical application. So, and that's what we're doing right now, working with the Krauss Center, working with the tax, um, working with uh, Bond Hall. I think we have that triad right now for leadership development. And I just look forward to continuing to take it to the next level by further professionalizing the process within the barracks. Yes, sir. Now, you're obviously no stranger to uh, change, chaos, long-range planning as a, a lifelong Marine Corps officer and now as the Commandant of the South Carolina Corps of Cadets. Um, one thing that you were experiencing and, and, and Marines were experiencing towards the end of your career is force design, 2030. The Marine Corps shed tanks, which I'm sure you have an opinion about as a former tank officer. but you're thinking long range about how to shift and prepare our forces for a different battlefield. How does that uh, long range planning process occur here at the Citadel? And how do you think about force design or shaping the way that our uh, cadets and our regimental staff and company staffs interact with the faculty and staff and tax and commandant's department here? How would you design uh, or redesign in an imaginative way uh, some of those structures to better serve the Corps of Cadets. Wow, so you went to force design. Um, I, I sure you, did, you, you did, you did. Um, that, that's, a, that's an exposed nerve right there. And, um, <laughs> and, and, I'm, I'm, on, sure. and I'm on tape. Um, yeah, so uh, let me address force design. Uh, well, it, I walked out and I saw this beautiful shooting star. Didn't realize it was an asteroid that came down and wiped out my entire species. Yes, sir. Um, yes, the Marine Corps has made some some bold uh, some bold rudder corrections. Now, I believe that General Berger, uh, in doing so, you know, did pull the rudder over pretty hard. Gave the Marine Corps a hard rudder correction to be able to get it up on foot uh, with our peer adversaries. Um, you know, our pacing threat right now. I think in order to turn such a large organization as the Marine Corps, you have to make those bold corrections. I hope that um, we don't actually take it to that as that new azimuth that he has actually pointed to. I think we should, at this point, bring the rudder back to midship a little bit. But that's not the conversation that uh, that we sat down to have. Yes, sir. Um, we're going to talk about how that, that whole process might inform long-range planning here at the well, Citadel. Because there are a lot of rice bowls here. That there, there, are a lot of rice, there are a lot of rice bowls. And, and you know, here's the thing about change. You know, everyone's for change until you ask them to change. Right. Right. And the Citadel, it, what makes it unique and what makes it special, right, is the rich traditions that have existed here since 1842. Part of my um, focus as the Commandant of Cadet, in line with professionalizing the process, is to be able to identify what are the traditions and what are the rituals, and allow me to distinguish between those two. So I believe the rich traditions here at the Citadel all have two things in common, right? They all have a purpose, right? And they are all tied back to the rich history of this universe college. Now, <clears throat> what are rituals? Well, rituals are what a bunch of 18 and 19 year olds made up in the barracks and got repeated more than once, right? Now they are cloaked as traditions, but they're not, right? So uh, there's been these rituals that have infiltrated the barracks that have infiltrated, you know, the other uh, organizations on campus such as you know, the Summerall Guards or Junior Sword Arch now. Um, and I'm looking really hard at those things because they can become a distraction um, and further that they can become an existential threat if left unchecked. 
So again, professionalizing the process, we'll make sure that I'm not going to change any of the traditions around here. As a matter of fact, I believe I'll defend those traditions to the day I die. But I will aggressively expunge those quote unquote rituals that have you know, metastasized within the barracks and just needs to be culled up because they, they don't comport to our they don't comport to our leadership development model and they have nothing to do with making principal leaders. Yes, your, your bigger question though is how do you then make this, these dramatic changes, right? Um, well, I think Captain Peluso gave the school, um, you know, gave it a hard rudder correction when he implemented the, the rebalance. I think that the concept, the design, and the purpose behind the rebalance are all sound. Just like when General Berger gave the correction to change, you know, the force design, the training, education, and equipping of the Marine Corps to meet this new threat. What both these programs, the corollary, what both these things need is an assessment. Okay, so I hope that the Marine Corps will take a look at the changes that they have made and assess it against the operating environment to make sure that it's delivering, you know, on, you know, its measures of performance and measures of effectiveness that have been laid out. Right, we have laid out an an aggressive plan to implement the rebalance. Right, I need to see the rebalance, you know, take hold. We're not going to see the rebalance, quite frankly, until next year because only next year will all four classes have been rebalanced. And at that point, then we will make the assessment and we'll make any corrections that we need to do. So <clears throat> I think in terms of implementing organizational change, you know, the, the leader doesn't need, need not be afraid of making those bold corrections, right? But they also need to have the uh, intellectual honesty, right, and the moral courage then to come back and make the proper assessments, you know, and adjust accordingly to those assessments. Yes, sir, that makes sense. And uh, of course, Rebalance has had a huge uh, ripple through the core of the way cadets think and speak about this. What what do you think um, that those cadets that you're charged to uh, to guide and lead? What do you think they're most concerned about right now? What do you think generally? In the, what is the zeitgeist in the core of cadets? I think um, well, with the rebalance, the rebalance. Uh, was initially very unpopular, right? Again, everyone's for change until you ask them to change. Sure. Um, personally, uh, my experience in the Corps of Cadets, I was in three different companies when I was here. I nobbed in Lima Company, I was Golf Company First Sergeant, and I finished up as Charlie Company Commander. So my professional network is three times larger than anyone who spent you know, their entire tenure here at the Citadel in one company. Mm -hmm. um, I think that when you graduate here, in addition to the degree, in addition to the training that you will receive as a principal leader, in addition to the deep reservoir of resiliency and resolve that we send our graduates out the gate with, they also leave and immediately tap into, you know, one of the most, um, one of the proudest, uh, most effective alumni organizations and networks in the world, right? Um, that alumni network has allowed me or has enabled me to solve problems over the past 30 years, all over the world, tapping into that network. And again, anything we can do to increase the size of their network, I think only makes the school better and only makes our graduates better. Um, now, how is there a way that we can do it better? I don't know, but I'm, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of, um, of assessing where the current direction, where we're at, and then making the changes that we need to. Colonel Gordon, in your opinion, what prevents the Citadel as an institution from reaching its full potential for training principal leaders and having that ripple effect on our, on our community, region, and nation? 
are there are there obstacles that prevent the citadel from from reaching its potential that you can influence i think so you know probably one of the things that i've seen that is a little discouraging quite frankly is uh is where i see the honor code going right now um now i believe the honor code in this institution is actually is is a cornerstone it's the foundation but as with any cornerstone it's something that we should be building upon right right now i believe that the honor code is perceived by too many in the core right as a series of negatives something to be afraid of and you know they're they're afraid of the honor code what how i look upon it though is i try to take that uh, that series of negatives and, and flip it and turn it into a positive instead of being a bunch of thou shalt nots right it's all about being a man or woman you know of your word so anywhere i look to be able to extend trust right because that's how you you build trust right it's reciprocity you first have to extend it so i'm looking for opportunities to give the core cadets an opportunity to exercise and demonstrate that they are men and women of their word now i'd circle it back though to the disease to please because the other part of our honor code that separates us from all the other institutions there are a lot of colleges and universities that have honor codes but what makes ours unique is the toleration clause that's what makes it unique and that goes back to you know creating principal leaders men and women of virtue and character that have the moral courage right to not only do the right thing to be a man or woman of virtue and character but actually to hold themselves and others to a higher standard now we see how does that comport to when you were here when i was here and we would hear like hey cadets don't snitch right when we see those quote-unquote loyalty speeches in the, in the barracks I, I just see that that's completely incompatible you know with our leadership development model and our honor code you know not hey don't be a snitch you know, those loyalty briefs I, someone's going to have a hard time reconciling that with me in, in the toleration clause so that's something i'm aggressively looking at right now just as i'm looking to purge the rituals from the core cadets sure. i'm going to purge those loyalty speeches right. you know from the core cadets I'm sure there's an interplay in the one strike and you're out uh, mentality of that many cadets see the honor code as having little flexibility uh, there's no room to make a mistake from age 18 to 22 uh, versus um, not ratting out or snitching on a classmate uh, that's, that's a really difficult balance to strike i think and you know it's all about developing men and women of virtue and character and how do you develop character well sure. character is all about the choices that you make and i go back to the analogy about a leadership lab because what we do is we take everything that exists out there outside the gates in the quote-unquote real world and we distill it down to its purest form but then we magnify it inside those barracks right so everything's moving at warp speed they're going to be faced with ethical dilemmas that they probably wouldn't be faced with you know necessarily in like the first 10 years of being a, a leader right out in the operating forces or being a as i said on the civilian sector but here in the barracks those things will rapidly come to fore and they're going to be put in that ethical dilemma there on what are they going to do right and their choice at that point Right. Every choice they make, right, is a building block that just builds their character. That's right. I agree. Uh, you took over as commandant in the fall of 2021, and you were a student here in 1991. You went through an extensive interview and screening process, and I'm sure you met everyone under the sun related to the Citadel. 
no no shortage of questions or opinion in that process, I'm sure. When you actually got in the seat, what was surprising to you? What surprised you as commandant, being so familiar with the institution, and then returning after all this time in a professional capacity? As you got settled in, what surprised you about the Citadel today? Parental involvement. Ah, yes. I think that's, we, of course, we develop men and women, we develop principal leaders, men and women of virtue and character, right? And that's quite the crucible over there, right? But for a young man or young woman to actually reap the transformational benefits that the system provides, they have to do it on, they have to do it themselves. It's tough, it's a tough to swallow these days. It, it, it is. It is. The, um, I, I feel that the helicopter parent is real. Um, and the helicopter parent um, does not, is not very compatible with the Citadel leadership development model. We need a, uh, we need a leadership training academy for parents. <laughs> <laughs> we, we want the, hey, listen, we want supportive parents. Um, we, we want we want to be partners in uh, the growth and development of these young men and women. Yes. But they're young men and women. Is there communication they're, they're, with they're, the parents? They're not. They're not. Um, they're not children. Does right? the school set expectations with parents for communication style and involvement? They do. And the the Citadel Family Association is remarkable. The the, the, the blue shirt army, as we call them. Right. These these are the mentors, right? These are the examples to emulate, because people see what people do. But what did not exist when you and I were here. That uh, it, it's a formidable, uh, a formidable threat is social media, mm-hmm. and that's probably where we see the most um, parental in, engagement. And uh, not all of it is constructive. Yes. Not 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 all of it is constructive. Um, yeah. What we do in those barracks, it's it's an imperfect system, right? As in any laboratory, quite frankly most of the experiments go bad, right? That's right. that's to be expected. When you're asking 18 to 22-year-olds to lead their peers, right, they're going to make mistakes. It's the commandant's job and it's the job of the of the tax to underwrite the risk of well-intentioned failure, right? Uh-huh. So we need to allow them to go there and make mistakes, pick themselves up, dust themselves off, right? <clears throat> Give them some mentorship, remediate them, and then let them repeat it. Right, so that they learn from these lessons. Now, you know, <clears throat> parents, however, and I'm not painting all parents with the same brush, but there are those parents that are quite frankly, you know, too quick to rescue. And you know, a, as I mentioned, one of the big products that every graduate leaves here with is a deep well, a deep reservoir of resiliency and resolve. Well, how does one acquire resiliency? How does one develop uh, resolve? Well, it's not rocket science. Right? You give these young men and women a little bit of adversity, allow them to overcome that adversity, wash, rinse, and repeat. <laughs> of course. That makes total sense. Well, I got one last question for you as we're coming up on the end of this interview, and that is knowing today with all of your experience from the Marine Corps and now here as the Commandant of Cadets, if you could put yourself back in the class, back in the barracks with those undergraduate cadets, and look to your left and right and, and tell your peers something uh, that you have learned, something that they can that will help them in their development as principal leaders and, and make it through the Citadel and build that uh, deep reservoir of resiliency and resolve, what would that 
piece of advice be, sir? You got your hand on the on the on the beep here. Well, I'll tell you, don't be an ass, mm-hmm. right? If, if when I was here, when I was a junior, I thought that's what I needed to be. I thought I needed to be an an autocratic leader. I thought I needed to be that martinet as a first sergeant. And I've I've learned, fortunately, um, between my junior and senior year, that that was really not very effective. Um, and I adjusted my leadership style. I think the worst advice that we we give these young men and women right is to is to be themselves. I can't imagine a more hollow piece of advice to give a 20 year old than to be <laughs> themselves. I mean, because let's face it, they have no idea who they are. And I don't mean to sound you know pejorative or condescending, right? The truth is, is that they are learning who they are every single day here inside that leadership laboratory. Every single choice that they make, every time that they face a little bit of adversity, overcome it, they learn more about themselves, right? And that also ties into how we develop leaders. People do what people see. So when I was a young freshman here, when I was a sophomore, you know, I saw a lot of autocratic leaders, right? That was the leadership style that was being modeled for me. And I found out as a company commander at my senior year, you know, you don't have to be an ass. Nobody wants to work for an ass, right? And there was a lot of negative leadership when that was kind of our leadership development model 30 years ago was a lot of negative leadership. Um, Quite frankly, cadets had lots of opportunity to discipline, lots of opportunity to punish their peers, but they had no opportunity to properly incentivize, reward, or encourage their peers. And you had to come out, you know, I, as a cadet here, had to find ways to reward and incentives that were completely outside of the system. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, I think we do have incentives within the system so that, you know, cadet leaders can balance their leadership approach, right, to make sure that, you know, there's that carrot and the stick, if you will. Um, but we need to provide more opportunity for the cadet leaderships here to demonstrate principled-based servant leadership. Um, lots of opportunities now that didn't exist when you and I were here. All the stuff that the Kraut Center is doing right now um, with service-based leadership, giving these practical applications, pr- opportunities for them to go out there and lead their peers and accomplish a task, right? Because leadership without in order to is, is not leadership, right? It has to be tied to accomplishing a mission or a task. And we have given them more realistic, tangible tasks that they have to be able to accomplish here. So I think um, the, the big difference from when I, when I was a junior to where I am right now is I've learned quite a bit about leadership and learned kind of going back to that disease to please thing, right? As RSL said, you know, <clears throat> virtue is the mean between the extremes, right? If you're sitting there and you're trying to be, trying to curry favor, if you're trying to, you know, that people pleasing paradox, you're going to fail, right? Conversely, if you're that martinet that's just trying to beat everyone about the head and shoulders, well, you're going to fail. So here's the opportunity for them to develop their own personal brand of leadership, their own style, their own philosophy, and hopefully they'll find it right down that midship. Yes, sir. Colonel Borden, thank you so much for that inside look into where the Corps of Cadets is today and where it's heading uh, in your, with your leadership and the leadership of your team here. We're grateful for the time today for our uh, audience and the Leadership on Demand podcast, and we look forward to chatting with you again soon. I appreciate the time. Well, that wraps up another episode of the Leadership on Demand podcast presented by the Krauss Center for Leadership and Ethics at the Citadel. 
You can find us online, and we welcome your feedback and suggestions on who you, our audience, would like to hear from in future episodes. Thank you for your time today. We hope you'll join us here again soon for another episode of Leadership on Demand.